open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The Lord, the King of all that confess him, O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. The Lord, the King of all that confess him, O come, let us worship him.
These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The first lesson for the Feast of All Hallows is written in the seventh chapter of the Revelation to St. John, beginning at the second verse. I saw another angel ascend from the sunrise, having the seal of the living God. He cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Don't harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed out of every tribe of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could count, out of every nation, and of all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. They cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation be to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before his throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. One of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are arrayed in the white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I told him, My Lord, you know. He said to me, These are those who came out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the Lamb's blood. Therefore they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will never be hungry or thirsty any more. The sun won't beat on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the middle of the throne shepherds them and leads them to springs of life-giving waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God.
epistle is written in the third chapter of the first epistle of St. John, beginning at the first verse. Brothers, see how great a love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. For this cause the world doesn't know us, because it didn't know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It is not yet revealed what we will be, but we know that when He is revealed, we will be like Him for we will see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself, even as he is pure. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of Zion. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, wherefore seen we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Let us look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up onto the mountain. When he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people reproach you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. At midnight there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Trim your lamps, O ye wise virgins. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Our Lord says to us, the church today, blessed are you. By the way, that you is plural. He's talking to the whole church, all of his disciples. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, last time I preached to you a couple weeks ago, I preached from James, James of Jerusalem, who told us to rejoice when we were completely and totally surrounded by trials and temptations. And really, now that I'm back here today, James was saying nothing different than what Christ has already said here in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed when you are reviled, persecuted, falsely slandered, and rejoice and be glad. Because, says our Lord, then you know your reward will be that of the prophets who suffered the same. 
The difference is, though, that James speaks what he heard from Jesus, and Jesus, going up on the mountain, sitting down in the posture of a teacher, opens his mouth and speaks as God. Now, I don't need to tell you how the world completely and totally surrounds us or how our flesh constantly tempts us, the devil constantly submerges us in trials, and so on. You heard that a couple weeks ago from James, and that's not entirely the focus of Christ's teaching today. In fact, when we hear Christ say, blessed are you when you're persecuted, blessed are you, that can lead us to think that the focus of these Beatitudes, of all the 12, 13 verses, that the focus is on us, the church. Blessed are the poor, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The blessed, that again, it's a plural word, speaking of more than one person. So it's easy to think that he means us. Blessed are those who mourn, are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, we think that must be us. We might be able to convince ourselves that this actually does sound like us in the world. We mourn, we're meek, we're hungering, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But then we get to those last Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Well, these make us stop for a bit. They really force us to ask, is this really about us? Because when we're completely and totally surrounded by trials and temptations, do these actually describe us? Are we actually merciful? Do we wish humiliation on those who hurt us instead? Do we extend a hand to those who are beneath us, or do we let them sit in their shame? Do we extend charity to those who are hurting, or do we just let them suffer while believing, oh, well, they have their problems, I have mine, good luck. Are we really pure in heart when we're surrounded? Or do we hate our enemy in our heart and call him a worthless, good-for-nothing fool? Would we care if he died tomorrow, or would we be glad if our enemy died? Has our heart lusted for someone that our Lord has not given us as a spouse, or for a sexual relationship which is not natural? Have our hearts and eyes wandered and been adulterous even if our bodies haven't? Has our heart considered divorce an option when our spouse is an inconvenience or fights with us? Even though the spouse has been faithful. Have our lips sworn an oath on, an oath on heaven or on our own heads? Even as our tongues lie and our hearts have no intention of doing what we say? We want our yes to be more than yes and our no to be more than no. Rather than seeking peace, we, our flesh often craves for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many times have we slapped back rather than turning the other cheek? How often have we refused to give anything rather than giving our tunic also, giving above and beyond what's asked? How often have we ardently refused to go even half a mile with someone, let alone two, when they ask us to go one? All because we hate them. In a culture that slanders us, that wants us to teach our children away from the faith, that would love to close our schools, our Christian schools and our camps, that tells us we're bigots, that hates you for saying all men are created in the image of God as men and as women, who hates you for saying you don't want babies to be ripped to pieces. We often look at these enemies of ours with disdain and, and we sneer. Because look at how dark and diabolical the whole world is. Really, that's 
far from loving them in our hearts or blessing them with our lips as they curse us. We disdain them, at least our flesh does. And that's the temptation we are surrounded with. The temptation to hate with utter disdain our enemies around us. Or the temptation in the other direction to forgo persecution and instead join the world that hates you so that you no longer are reviled or persecuted or slandered. But the problem with that is if you go with the world so you're not persecuted, then the last beatitude wouldn't describe you either. It wouldn't describe us as a church if we caved in the face of persecution. But those are the temptations. Blessed are the merciful. But we could think of when we weren't merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, but we know the filth of our flesh. Blessed are the peacemakers, but we don't always want peace. Blessed are the poor, the persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. All that, the first three or four Beatitudes, all that is suffering. That's persecution. Being poor, being persecuted, mourning, being meek. That's persecution. But how many times do we know of that we've caved to avoid these sufferings? The thing is, we want the Beatitudes to be about us. Because look at the promises that, the, that it gives. Those were the descriptions, but look at the promises. The kingdom of heaven, everlasting life, comfort, inheriting the earth, reigning over the earth is what that means. Being made full, being given mercy, being called sons of God. We crave all of those things. We just don't want all the descriptions that go along with those promises. At least our flesh doesn't. But if we're honest, then we must confess that the Beatitudes don't describe us alone. The righteousness it speaks of here, that, that righteousness, that's not ours. We can't do that. We can't create it in ourselves despite how hard we try. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, all you want, we can't produce that righteousness. So then, on our own, we are famished. On our own merits, none of these promises can be ours. Any righteousness that begins or originates in us, it's dirty rags. And it comes nowhere near the kingdom of God. And so we come back to that question. Are the Beatitudes about us? Well, no. But yet also, yes. Because it's not about us and our old sinful Adam. But they are about us and our new man in Christ. Because, you see, that's who the Beatitudes describe first and foremost. That's what we need to see first. They describe Christ incarnate. Look at the Beatitudes and you'll know that it's true. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Christ was he who emptied himself out by taking on the form of man and being born of a lowly virgin. We saw this during Lent with his temptation in the wilderness. In the temptation there, he had no food, no water, yet he still made no claim on God. He refused to, take, to make stone, refused to take stone and make it bread. He refused to jump and test God. He refused the glory of the world without suffering, without the suffering of the passion. Instead, he trusted entirely on the Father. He set aside his divinity to enter into this deep humility where he trusted the Father only. And he was also the one who mourned. He mourned over Jerusalem because he desires to save all sinners. He is the meek and lowly whose yoke is easy, who teaches us and gives us rest for our souls, all because he entered into the waters with us in his baptism. He took our yoke of sin from us and gave us an easier yoke of his own. 
He is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, refusing to be satisfied with mere bread in the desert, and instead desiring to fulfill all righteousness with John the Baptist. He is the pure in heart with whom the Father is well pleased. He is the peacemaker who comes to make peace between God and man. He is the persecuted. He was the one who took our place on the cross, who was poor in spirit as he emptied himself and poured out his life and his blood, who mourned by crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was the meek and lowly right there, being all alone on the cross, ashamed with nothing to claim as his own. For he became a lowly worm, more a lowly worm than a man, as his enemies around him blasphemed him. He was the one who hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He was the one on the cross who said, I thirst, so he could drink the last dregs of the Father's cup of wrath for you and me. He was pure in heart. He who had no sin became sin for us, so we may be pure. He's the one who brought peace with God, who bought peace with God and came completely poor in spirit as he gave up the ghost in his last dying breath. Again, the Beatitudes describe Christ first and foremost. Because not only does it describe him in all these ways, but also all the promises were given to him by the Father. Three days later, he was comforted. He was shown mercy by the Father as he rose again. He satisfied the Father's wrath and shone with His glory in all righteousness. His is the kingdom of heaven because He ascended into heaven. We know it's His kingdom because He sits at the right hand of God the Father. And He sees God all the time as He intercedes for us. He is the Son who has inherited the earth by, giving all, by being given all authority over heaven and earth. His is the kingdom of heaven. Because he has been made king. So knowing this about Christ, do the Beatitudes, do they describe us as well? No, but also yes. Not in our, own, not in our old sinful Adam, but in our new man in Christ. Look at what St. Paul says in our epistle. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because he, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The Beatitudes describe Christ first and foremost. That is true. But if you have also been baptized into Christ, your old man has died with him, your new man has risen with him. And in the waters you have been united to Christ's flesh, so you are also united with Christ in spirit. You are more intimately in union with Christ than anyone else in your life. That's the unity and spirit we have with Him. And because of that intimate union, whatever describes Christ now also describes you, His church, which God has knit together into one holy communion. So we can ask then, are you poor in spirit? And we can answer yes, absolutely. Because you are the ones, the church, who come before God and repent, who claim nothing of your own before Him and rely solely on His mercy. You are those who mourn as the world around you surrounds you because you desire the light for all those in the darkness. 
Because you call upon God and His promises when the darkness completely and totally surrounds you. You are meek. You being in church shows you are meek. Because you're willing to be in church and confess the faith even as the world derides you and makes you last because of it. You hunger and thirst for the righteousness, not of the world, but for a higher righteousness from above. You are the merciful. You are the pure in heart. You are the peacemakers who forgive when sinned against. Because that is Christ's nature. And in baptism, that is now your nature, which you are being made new in. Even as we are persecuted, especially when we are persecuted, we're being sanctified. We're being sanctified as we suffer for and with Christ, being made in His image. Because, as St. John says here in baptism, you are now God's children. God looks at you from the waters, possesses you with His Spirit, and proclaims of you, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Because if he says it of Christ, he also now says it of you who are baptized into Christ. United with Christ. That comfort and mercy that Christ received at his resurrection, that comfort and mercy will be yours on the last day when you are made like him. When you're resurrected in glory as well. On that day you will see God just as he is. As he comes back to judge. And on that day, you'll be made pure in the faith. So St. John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Indeed, it is the love where you now, where you now will inherit the earth. Not just the earth, though. Not this decaying land that we know. You will inherit the promised land. The heavens and the earth made new in eternity. That will be yours to inherit. And there you will forever feast at the wedding feast of the Lamb and always be satisfied. St. John goes on. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world hates us, or the reason why the world does not know us, is that it did not know Him. St. James, a couple of weeks ago, he was right. You are totally and completely surrounded by darkness, by the flesh, the world, the devil. Because to them, we are dangerous strangers. We're united to Christ that they do not confess, who is of the Father that they do not know. And so they will persecute us, especially as darkness falls in our land more and more. But James tells us in this time to be full of joy, just as Christ tells us to rejoice and be glad. Because you're not alone. You are with all the prophets who were persecuted. You stand with all the apostles who were slaughtered for the gospel. You stand with all the saints of all times and places who also suffered and were martyred for this confession. Those who stand with you include Carol Colmus, Vicki Dykstra, and all the saints who have gone before us this last year and beyond. All those who God has knit together in one body. That's us. We are still united with Christ, in Christ, by His Spirit, in His mystical body. So that when you come up here this morning to commune, don't think that you commune by yourself. Don't think your communing is just 
between you and God alone, as some people claim. That's nonsense. Because here, you commune on the body and blood of Christ with all the saints here and all the saints from all times and places and all the saints that are in heaven. We commune united as we have been knit together by God in Christ. We are one with Christ and in Christ together. That is what the Beatitudes describe. Those who commune in Christ as one, living and deceased. And communing as one, the promises of the Beatitudes are ours together as one. So come this morning. Come eat and drink together with Christ, with, all, with the church from all times and places. And as our hunger and thirst is satisfied this morning, may it also strengthen us in all virtuous and godly living that we prayed for, in the Beat, prayed for at the beginning and what we heard in the Beatitudes, of which the saints before us lived, of which we now aim to live after them until we leave this great tribulation and meet them again. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.